word. Your word is truth. And Lord, it's truth when it hits our heart and we change. And so, Lord, we pray that you would just liberate Brad this morning, Lord, in your spirit, that he would be free to share what is on your heart for us. And we pray, Lord, that it would be impactful, Lord, that we would receive the word and we would, we would uh, yeah, Lord, adjust as you need us to adjust, that we would open our hearts as you need us to open our hearts, that we would change, Lord, where change is necessary, that, Lord, we would love you more where we've, where we've missed uh, that relationship with you. And that, Lord, you would draw us closer in to your plans and your purposes. And so, Lord, I pray that as we, as we hear the word now, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts. Lord, not only the words that Brad speaks, but the things that are on your heart for us as well. And that, Lord, we would hear from you today, Holy Spirit. And that we would know, uh, yeah, the things that, that uh, are so important to you and how we can adjust to that. Lord, we want to walk in obedience to you, Lord, because we love you. Your word says, if we love you, we should obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Craig. Good morning. I got the power of feedback this morning as well. All right. It's wonderful to be with you this morning and uh, to be sharing with you in this, the last of our uh, A New Way to Live series, the, the final part of Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. And I want to say a warm welcome to, you, to those of you who are joining us for the first time, and perhaps a well done to those of you who have just joined, who have stuck with us for the whole 19 weeks. We've made it through, and the fact that you're still here this morning, hopefully that's, it's been a good time. I think it's been really, really wonderful. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, and I hope you have as well. Just an apology up front from me for, for flipping your order of service around. We do this in the evening all the time, by the way. It's really great in the evening. But unfortunately, I had a meeting in Musenberg that I just couldn't get away from and find any other space for. So we had to flip it around. So when you see me disappear after the message, it's not because I don't want to be here and I don't love you, but I unfortunately just have to be somewhere else as well. And uh, Shane is going to continue to oversee the, the time from there. But I'm excited this morning to begin to dig into um, a new way to live here in, uh, in, at the end of Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we're going we're gonna to finish up this morning, and this is the last story that Jesus tells in his own sermon. Right, so he, he's been speaking for a long time. We've taken 19 weeks at about half an hour a week. So if Jesus did it, maybe that's 10 hours of speaking. Maybe he took a bit longer, a bit shorter. But he's been speaking for a long time. This is the last story that he tells. And it's the story of two builders. And I'm sure many of you know this story well. The one builds on the rock. The other one builds on the sand. It's a very simple story. It's a very powerful story. But it's also the last story in a series of four that Jesus tells as he's wrapping up his, uh, his message. And so we're going to do this morning a little bit differently. We're going to read our story about the two builders. And, and then, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, especially for those of you who might just have finished exams, we're going to do a little bit of maths together. All right. I promise it's not going to be hard maths. It's not going to be scary maths. It's going to be fun. All right. But we're going to do a little bit of maths. We've got a table and we've got some graphs. And I think it's going to be helpful for us to just track a little bit of what Jesus has been trying to do through the end of his message. And I know the engineers in the audience are like, fantastic. We can actually grapple with something that like connects with my heart. Right, so let's jump in. Let's have a look at the two different stories, um, the, well, the last story of the two builders, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at the table. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain will fall, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on that house, but it did not fall 
because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. That's the story. I'm sure it's a story most of you know well. Some of you who have been in Sunday school will have heard that story many times. Right? But as I said, this story is the, is the last in four stories that Jesus tells. The first one is about the two roads. The second one is about a, the false prophets and the tree and the fruit that they bear. Those who cry out, Lord, Lord, and you remember. Um, they do wonderful miracles and cast out demons. And then finally we get the story of the two builders. What I want us to do this morning is just to track three different things through those three stories. And if you've been with us for the last two weeks, hopefully this will be a bit of a refresher from some of the stuff that Roland and Howard spoke about. But we're going to track the different people in the story, the action or the inaction that they take or didn't take, and the consequence of their failure. And we're going we're gonna to look at that together. We're going to have a bit of a look, and then we're going to graph some of those things. And we're going to see and understand something about what's been happening in those different stories. So if you remember two weeks ago, Roland spoke about the first story there, the two roads, the broad way, the easy way that leads to destruction, and the narrow way, the difficult way that leads to life. And Jesus said, you're in one of two places. You're on one of those two roads. You're either on the broad way and you're walking and it's easy and there's lots of people around you, or you're walking on the narrow way and it's difficult and it's not simple. It's, it's a real challenge. And there's only a few of you that are on that road. And you've got, to, you've got to choose to go from the broad way. You've got to enter through the narrow gate and go onto the narrow way. Remember that story? Right, in that story, there's two different people that are pictured. If you're on the broad road, right, ultimately Jesus is saying those who are on the broad way, the easy way, you're in a space where you're spiritually lost. You're spiritually distant from God. And, and you'll see the consequence of failure we see there. So at the end of the day, the broad road doesn't lead to heaven. The broad road, Jesus says, leads to eternal destruction. And so he tells the story to warn people against it. And the action that he calls people to is he says, when you are on the broad road, you need to recognize that there is a gate. There is a narrow gate. And you need to step through that gate and enter onto the narrow road. And that narrow road will take you to life. So we've got two different kinds of people. We've got those who are, who are lost and far from God and those who then enter through the narrow gate and become saved. The action that they're called to do is to make that choice, to turn off the road, to go through the gate, to embrace the road less traveled and ultimately to lead them to eternal life or eternal destruction. The second story is about false prophets. And Jesus tells the story about the tree and its fruits. And he says there, there are false prophets that are going to come among you. And they're going to be like wolves in sheep's clothing. So you'll see there, I put in the table, for the people Jesus is speaking about, these are, these are like pseudo-Christians. There are wolves that pretend to be sheep. They cover themselves. They look like sheep. They look like Christians. And they probably look quite spiritual, right? Because they're prophets. They're declaring, thus saith the Lord. The Lord has a word for you. This is what He has to say. And they're saying, and Howard spoke well about this last week. You'll remember that. Jesus describes them as ravenous wolves. They're not just you know, casual wolves that like, want to be sheep and are kind of transgendered sheep, uh, trans-species sheep. Right? They're ravenous wolves. They're there not because they want to be sheep, but because they want to eat sheep. 
Right? There, there are people who are pretending to be Christians who are coming amongst the Christians and they're trying to deceive them. They're trying to take them off the narrow road, back through the narrow gate and back onto the broad way. Right? These are these false prophets that Jesus speaks about. And the action that they take is to pretend or to deceive. They create this fraudulent replica, this picture of something that looks really good and Christian. But actually it's taking people away and it's pulling people away from Jesus and it's leading them towards destruction. And you might remember if you were here last week, Jesus says, you know what's going to happen to those people? And he begins to refer to them in terms of trees. And he has this little agricultural analogy because everyone understands that you don't get apples from an orange tree. Right? And so he says, you know, a good tree bears good fruits, and a bad tree bears bad fruits. And so if the tree is bad, if the tree is bad, they're going to be false prophets. And if they're bearing bad fruits, what's going to happen is at the end of the day, that tree is going to get cut down, and it's going to get thrown into the fire, and it's going to be burnt up. That's the second story. You see the people we've got. We've got false Christians, pseudo-Christians, people pretending to be Christians. They're looking to deceive and to pull people away from God, and their end is to be cut down, thrown into the fire, and burnt. Then you get the third story, and how I dealt with this as well last week. These are people that appear to be Christians, because for them, they come before Jesus, and suddenly they're shocked, and they're surprised. And they say, Lord, but, but don't you know us? We cast out demons in your name, and, and we did all these miracles, and, and stuff happened because of us. And look at the, the list of works that I've got, the stuff that I've done, which I did for you. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. I never knew. I mean, it reminds me a little bit, and I was chatting with Arthur after the 8 o'clock service. It reminds me a bit about Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And he said, you know that passage on love that we love to use for weddings? And he says, if I do all of these wonderful things and I have not loved, then I've got nothing. It's kind of the same situation. We've got a group of people that come before the Lord. And I've called them self-deceived Christians because Jesus rejects them. They don't get to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They're ultimately not saved. But they come there and they profess and they say, Lord. They call Jesus Lord. And they perform and they've got lists of miracles and deliverances and things that they've done. And Jesus' response to them is to reject them, to cut them off from the kingdom, and to pronounce them as guilty. So you are men of lawlessness. I never knew you. There is no access for you into the kingdom. It's the third story. And after that third story, we then get the fourth story. And this is the story of the two builders. And in this story, you've got Jesus is speaking to people. And he, remember, it's his disciples that have come around him. And we're going to see, as we end this morning, we're going to see that the crowds have begun to gather around the disciples. And so he speaks to them. He says, you've been listening to me speak. And I've been speaking for the last 10 hours or maybe a little bit less. We don't really know. He, was, he had a good time with the disciples. And he spoke with them. And he shared with them. And he said, now, now there are two kinds of people. There are those that are going to listen to what I've said. And you're, and you're going to do it. You're going to live it out. And then there are those of you that are going to have heard what I've said, and you're going to think about it, and you're going to consider it, and you're going to weigh it up against some of the other things that you've heard, and you're not actually going to do it. So I've, I've called it, and I, and I want to just explain this. I've used the quotation mark around the Christians because I think what we see from Jesus is those who are classed as the lazy, those who, who don't put into practice what Jesus does. Ultimately, what Jesus says is your house is going to collapse. The thing that you've built, your life, the house is a metaphor for your life. That life is going to collapse. Right? 
They're not going to be entering the kingdom, so they're, they're not going to be real Christians. I think is what Jesus is saying. And the action or the inaction that they get judged upon is whether or not they have chosen to do and to live out the things that Jesus has said. Those are our four stories. Right, and, uh, once I'd seen this table, I, I couldn't help but, uh, but decide that it would be really helpful to graph this. And hopefully for those of you who are engineers with me this morning, you'll appreciate this. Right? But I've tried to graph this, and uh, this, is, this is what we want to have a look at just together this morning. The, the bottom axes, one, two, three, and four, represent the stories. Right, you remember the stories, the two roads, the tree and the fruit, those who cry out, Lord, Lord, and the two builders. Right, you've got them across the bottom. And then on the, on the y-axis, I've, I've used this idea of this closeness to Christian community. Maybe a, a better way of saying it is an appearance of salvation. How Christian do these people look? Right, and and you're, as, we, as we do these graphs, there are two stories, the first and the fourth story, that include those who are saved and not saved. And um, we're just going to look at ulti- the people that the judgment is leveled against. So we look consistently at, at the four same people. So in the first story, I figured the, the dot appears pretty close to the bottom. Right, because the people that are on the Broadway, the people that are lost, they don't really look like Christians. They're just lost. They're not inside the Christian community yet. They're just wandering around. They look like our normal non-Christian friends that we know and have. It's easy to see that they're not Christian. Then you get, then you get the false prophets. These guys look a little bit more spiritual. Right? They're probably standing on a stage somewhere in a Christian gathering. And they're proclaiming, thus says the Lord. Right? I've, I've heard from the Lord for you. I've got a word. Guys, God, God still prophesies today. That's Okay. Right? But there are those who do that falsely. Those who come to seek to undermine the people in the kingdom. And they look pretty Christian. We're gonna... Then it develops a little bit more. It develops a little bit more. Now, now we didn't just have guys who are prophetic. Right? Now we've got the guys who are, who are doing the deliverance ministry. And who are performing miracles. And it's, and it's very elaborate and it's beautiful. And everyone can see it. It's a very upfront kind of ministry, and everyone looks at that, and you look at the fruit of what's happening in their lives, and you can't help but think, man, if these guys aren't saved, I don't know who is. I mean, that, that's, that's the idea, right? You see the progression that Jesus is beginning to take his disciples on. It starts with, it's obvious to identify those who are not saved. So actually, these guys look kind of spiritual. Actually, these guys can look very spiritual. And then he lands with the fourth story of the two builders. And I, and I think, you know, really, I think the second builder that Jesus is speaking about here is the person that just sits at church. And you're just here. And, and you enjoy being at church, and you enjoy listening to the sermons, and you enjoy singing the songs. But somehow, it never really goes from listening and hearing to living. And you're still a part of the Christian community. And you still kind of look like you're saved. And you could sit in church for years. And everyone around you might not think that you're saved. Right? It can look real close. That's the progression that Jesus takes us on. It gives us a little graph. It looks a little bit like that. Right? It's, just help. it's nicer than just dots. All right. So the first graph. I want you to just track that. Notice what Jesus is doing there. He's helping them to recognize the closeness to community where, where someone can genuinely not be saved. Second thing I wanted to graph is the actions. Remember, we, we had the table, we, we graphed the people, now we're going to graph the actions. And uh, again, we've got the stories across the bottom, and on the y-axis, I've, I've called that the le- your level of active rebellion, right? Which is a very Christianese term, the intentionality with which you're rejecting Jesus. 
that make sense? Right, so if you look at the first story, the, the people that are on the broad road, we don't really have a lot of information about them. We don't really know how actively they're rejecting Jesus. They could be uh, avowed atheists standing up and defending atheism and rejecting Jesus overtly, or they could just be people that aren't really bothered. And the whole Jesus thing and the whole Christian thing, you know, they kind of heard it, but, you know, it's not really that important. They're somewhere on that line there, um, anywhere in between. The next people are those fo- false prophets. These are wolves that are in sheep's clothing. They're people that are coming into a Christian community, but they're actively trying to deceive people and steal them out of that community and bring them into destruction. That's, that's what's going on there. So their level of active rebellion is pretty high. Right? They're, they're very much on an anti-Jesus agenda. And then you, get, then you get the guys who are doing miracles and doing deliverance and, and crying out to Jesus and calling Him Lord. I don't think their active rebellion is that high. I think for them... And this is the whole thing. They were so surprised when Jesus calls it out of them. I think they, they felt like they've been following God. And they've been doing their best to, to kind of do their stuff and to do what it is a Christian is required to do. Right? Their, their act of rebellion is not so high. The last group, the person that sits in, in the chair and, and warms the chair and never really lives out. I don't, their act of rebellion, it's a little bit higher than those who are trying to do, but it's still pretty passive. It's more an inactivity than it is an active rebelliousness. And so you get this, this graph about active rebellion that, that looks a little bit like that. You know, there, there are some that are really high. There are some that are quite low in these stories that Jesus tells. But for me, this becomes really significant when we compare it to what happens in the last graph. As we compare the consequences in each of these stories. Right, so again, we've got the stories, we've got the level of con- consequence. In the first story, the people on the broad road, Jesus says, guys, ultimately the broad road goes to one place. It leads to destruction. Right, it doesn't matter where you're at on the broad road, it doesn't matter your level of active rebellion against Jesus, ultimately the broad road leads to destruction. And you get the second story about the false prophets and the trees. And he says, the tree that doesn't bear good fruit is going to be cut down, thrown into the fire, and burnt up. The consequence is the same. You're cut off from the kingdom of heaven, rejected by Jesus, and ultimately condemned to hell and to punishment. In the third story... We've got those who are professing Christ, who, who called Him Lord, who did all the miracles and did all the stuff, and they, they didn't have love, they didn't have this relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I never knew you. I don't know you. I don't know your name. You don't know mine. We, there's a pretend thing going on here. There's a performance thing, but there's no relationship. And they're, they come before Him, and He says, I don't know you. They're, they're rejected. They're, they're cut off from the kingdom. He pronounces of them, there are men of lawlessness. There's this guilty verdict that's placed on them. And finally, you've got the boulder that builds in the sand, the person that comes to church, but it never really goes anywhere from there. And Jesus says, the house, the house is going to collapse. The storm is going to come and the house is going to fall. And we end up with this graph that looks like that. And all of these stories, for me, Jesus is trying to build to this one idea. Right? There's all the same consequence. That, that if you, anything less than genuine, authentic discipleship, 
leads to eternal damnation and separation. Anything less than, than genuine, authentic discipleship is worthless. It doesn't matter how close you look to salvation. It doesn't matter how well you fit within the church or the Christian community. It doesn't matter the things that you say you believe and the things that you can say that you've done. It doesn't matter how intentionally you rebel against Jesus or passively ignore Him. Jesus is trying to tell the people that are listening to Him that at the end of the day, anything that's less than full, authentic, relational, genuine discipleship doesn't count. doesn't make it. I wish I, I wish I had an easier message for us this morning. I wish I could say, like how I mentioned last week with Rob Bell, that you know what, guys, at the end of the day, love wins. Jesus is so loving, it's going to be fine. It's not what he says. It's not what he says. And that's why I think this final story that Jesus tells, this final warning, is so perfect in the way in which he summed up his sermon. And what would we expect from the King of Heaven if he was going to conclude his sermon? His warning to his disciples and to the crowds and his warning to us today is he says, you have heard my words. You have heard my words. And what are you going to do with them? What are you going to do? Imagine for a moment that it wasn't me standing up here on the stage. That I was just in my seat with the rest of you. And instead of me, there was Jesus here in the flesh on the stage, and these, this is the first time you're hearing him give the Sermon on the Mount, and he's speaking, and he's sharing. Would you give him a little bit more attention than you may be giving me? I hope so, huh? without taking any offense. Would you walk out and think, sure, man, that was such a good sermon. Yo, the speaker spoke really well today. It was, it was top-notch. Would you treasure his words? Is the very words of God. Would you place yourself above them and count them as one opinion among many for you to reflect on, talk about, maybe allow yourself to change a little bit, but you we want to really upset the apple cart and the way things are going. That's the heart of Jesus' final story here. It's the heart of his final story. How will you respond to my words? Will you be like the good builder who hears them and immediately seeks to put them into practice in his life? Jesus says that's the way to life. If you treasure my words, if you make them the standard by which you live, then you're going to endure. And you're going to make it through to the end. And you're going to receive the well done, my good and faithful servant. And the storm is going to come. And the, the floods are going to come. But your house, your life is going to stand firm. Because Jesus and what He has said is your foundation. One day you'll get to join Him in eternal life. Or are you more like the foolish builder? And you listen to Jesus' words, and you think about them, you talk about them, maybe debate their virtue with your friends or with some strangers on the internet. Well, you kind of, kind of do them, but then when things get a little bit awkward and the cost gets a little bit high, you know, maybe we'll just, just not do that part and it'll be okay because, you know, Jesus is so loving after all. And it's probably going to be fine, right? But here's the thing I, that I recognized as I was preparing this message. In hindsight, we all look at the foolish builder, the guy Jesus describes as the foolish builder, and we think, man, you're not, a really, you're not really that bright, are you? No one builds their house on sand. 
Like we all know this. It's construction 101. Right? My dad's in construction. He's been in construction for almost 40 years. I know a little bit of construction from gleaning from him, being around sites with him. Foundations, super important. Right? We all know that. No one, no one goes to intentionally build their house on the sand. See, the thing is, though, is the storm doesn't come in the first week. Probably doesn't even come in the first month, the first year. And all the time when the storm is not there, it's, all, it's real nice to hang out at the beach house. You've got beautiful sunsets over the ocean, and you're listening to the sound of the waves as you're going to bed at night, and the house looks fantastic. See, when the storm isn't there, it doesn't matter what the foundation is. It doesn't matter what you've built on. And it might be years. We can go years in our life thinking that everything is great and everything is kind of sorted and I've got everything into a nice box. Jesus has promised us is one day there's going to be a day of testing. One day it's going to come. You know the expression when it rains, it pours. Sometimes God does that for us. One day our life is going to get turned upside down. That's Jesus' promise. And the rains are going to come down and the floodwaters are going to rise and the winds are going to blow and the foundation of your life is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. And if you have built on Jesus, if you have taken His words as the words of life and you've built on them, then you're going to, you're going to stand and your house is going to endure. Your life is going to be endure. But if you've built on anything else, that day is going to reveal your foundation for what it is. And the floods are going to come and, and your life is going to begin to crumble and fall apart. Friends, the, the hard thing with this is Jesus is warning to us is that if that happens, it's on you. It's on you. You've only got yourself to blame because I've given you the words. I've, I've given you the truth. I've shown you who I am. So my question to you this morning is, how is your house? How is your house? Matthew finishes chapter 7 with these words. It says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowd was astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. Jesus, when he speaks, he speaks with authority because he is God and his words are the words of God. And if Jesus was standing here today, speaking these same words, would you listen? Would it move you to action? Would you do it? How is your house? Is it ready to face the storm? Or is it showing some of those fault lines? I went to England once when I was 18. I went with my family and uh, my dad's friend, Simon. They're both in construction, have been for a long time. It's a very interesting um, thing to walk down, down English streets with my dad and Simon because most of us just see, you know, pretty buildings and diff cobblestones and, you know, a, a city that looks different to ours. And dad and Simon walk down like, oh, you see that crack over there? You, know, you can see there's a fault in the front. There's some rising damp going on here. There's a problem over here. You see how that's leaning over? And they, can, they just look at a building and they can see the faults. Can you see any of the faults in your own life? Are there any cracks that are beginning to show? There's a warning for you. There's an opportunity. See, we all face an injunction today. And, and you know, I, I know I share this message and most of us sitting here 
deeply know and love Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But we all face an injunction when we hear the words of Jesus, when we've heard the words of Jesus over the last 19 weeks. Those are the words that Jesus said. How are you going to respond? Will you do them? Will you make them the standard by which you live your life, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when push comes to shove? That's the question Jesus closes his sermon with, and that's how I'm going to close mine this morning. I'm going to pray for us, but I'm actually going to invite you to pray together with me. And there's, there's an invitation for us this morning to declare our resolve to live by the words of Jesus and what he has said. And there might be someone here this morning, and you're, this might be a new thing for you. You might not be ready. You might not have been ready before to embrace the words of Jesus. There's an invitation to you again this morning. Jesus has spoken. Will you follow? Will you listen? Because if you choose to follow his words, you're going to choose to follow him. And so I'd love for all of you that want, that want to do this together, that want to say, we want to stand so that we can do the things that Jesus has spoken. We've heard what he said over the last 19 weeks. We've read it before. We, we hear the words of Jesus. We want to commit to the best of our ability to living out what he has done, to making his words the foundation for our life, to making Jesus the king of our heart. If you want to be in that space, I invite you to stand with me now. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask you to repeat with me, and we're going to pray. This is the first time you're going to do this. Maybe you're going to do this. You've done this for years. Just follow me as I lead us. Lord Jesus, today I choose to declare that you are the Lord of my life. And to make your words the standard for my life. I choose today to do my best. To live each moment of my life. In accordance with the words you speak. It's the temptation. To hear and not do. And I ask your forgiveness for where I have failed to do this in the past. And I also ask for the empowering of your Spirit to be able to live according to your words. Jesus, please bring glory to Yourself through my life that I might be Your good and faithful servant for Your kingdom's sake. Amen. Amen. Thank you, friends. It's been wonderful to be with you. You're welcome to stay standing as the worship team comes up to lead us and just to say um, there's anyone who has chosen to follow this morning I think I'm going in and out there we go if you've chosen to follow Jesus for the first time this morning please tell someone just tell someone what God has done maybe it's a friend you came with a family member come and tell Shane let someone know 
because we want to celebrate with you. We want to journey with you. It's going to be wonderful. Before I um, ask Janet to lead us in worship, Akia, you've got a testimony of what God has been doing this week. And so I just want to invite Akia to share that so we can rejoice in the faithfulness of our God together.